You can't just hand a, a dollar amount down and expect it to be used appropriately, right? If they're, if they're not educated. And so I think that's part of our responsibility. You know, if we're gonna build something where there is some generational wealth to pass down, I think it's our responsibility to kind of educate and, and show our kids or whoever it is that you are passing that money onto the responsible use of it and what your desires are for how, uh, how to impact their or other people's lives. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Marcus Long. Today we're digging into Marcus's experience retiring at a relatively young age from the military and making plans for his future, his financial future, his life future, what he's going to do with his life, how he was going to plan his legacy and pass his lessons on to his children, and how real estate has played a role in his financial development for years, how he started investing in real estate somewhat accidentally back in 2004, now growing to owning several hundred multifamily units, being recently retired from the military, investing from a distance, and so much more. A ton of great lessons in this one, especially for those of you out there who are in the military, maybe looking at your retirement, thinking about what you're going to do with your life, what kind of mission are you going to have, how are you going to plan that, how are you going to continue to grow your financial situation, how are you going to pass on your legacy, and so much more. So many great lessons in this one from Marcus. He really focuses and thinks a lot about legacy planning, helping your kids grow and have a sound financial future, not just by passing them money, but by passing them lessons and knowledge as well. So, so many great lessons. You're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and to date, I have acquired, invested, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys, I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Marcus Long. Let's go. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for your service. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself and what you used to do and then what you do now as a real estate investor? Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. It's uh, great to be here with you today. My name is Marcus Long. I'm a husband, father of an eight and a five-year-old. And uh, as you mentioned, I uh, recently retired from the military after 21 years in the Navy and moved my family back to like, the Kansas City area from England about five months ago. And so... It's where I spent the, the last couple of decades from a real estate perspective, you know, had real estate for 18 years or so. And over the past few years, as I kind of got towards the end of my military career, becoming more intentional uh, about how I was doing that. And uh, I was passively investing in some uh, multifamily myself. As I got ready to exit the military, you know, I knew that I didn't really want to walk into a W-2 or a nine to five. And so I was looking, you know, how I wanted to set up my life entrepreneurially and looking for a mission, you know, kind of after the military. And as I was passively investing, I kind of saw this opportunity 
to, to bring that to others. So I know it took me 15 years of owning real estate before I knew what syndications were and things like that. And so I knew that there's a lot of other of my peers that probably weren't familiar with them as well. And so over the last couple of years, kind of created a business around that and have spent a lot of time just trying to educate and bring awareness to a lot of my, my network. Great, great. And now you're retired from the military, full-time real estate investor, just to get focused That's on speed. So I, I want to rewind the clock and learn about your early real estate investing experience, how you initially got started, then we'll work forward to when you were looking at retirement and kind of making the, these plans about, you know, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What's my, my mission going to be? Yeah. So, you know, my first property I bought in 2004, I was about 22 years old, kind of giving away my age here, but I had gone from enlisted to a commissioning program, going back to college uh, to get my degree. And I had the opportunity to buy a three bedroom, two bath condo. And so I, I purchased it and not intentionally necessarily, but ended up house hacking. And while I was there and I kept it as a rental after I graduated three years later, and I actually still have that property today. And so that's kind of how I, I got into it. You know, I knew that, you know, buying real estate and stuff was kind of a, a wealth builder. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily appreciate all of the, you know, cash flow and depreciation and the specific benefits, but it's what kind of opened my eyes to do some stuff later on in the future. And so I wasn't necessarily super intentional about adding to my portfolio early, you know, deploying a lot, doing a lot of operational stuff. And I kind of started picking up a property every three years or so, kind of mostly back around my hometown, not necessarily where I was was stationed probably mid like 2015, 16, 17 timeframe. I started acquiring a handful of single family rentals, some multi-use properties kind of around my, my hometown. And then as I got closer to the end, as I mentioned, you know, I, the stuff I was purchasing was not necessarily like heavy cash flow properties. And so I knew it wasn't enough, you know, to sustain after the military, particularly if I didn't want to go into like a nine to five or W2 job. And so I kind of started, you know, joining some some masterminds and networking and getting exposed to some different strategies and ultimately ended up doing some passive investing in some commercial complexes myself, as I mentioned. And that's kind of whenever I started getting into to syndicating myself as a GP as well. Great. Okay. So as you were ramping up buying those single families and, you know, eventually it wasn't generating quite the cash flow that you wanted, but where were you buying those and how were you thinking about that in light of you know your career path and the associated, uh, I don't necessarily know where I'm going to be a few years from now, so I need to set this up so that I can either manage it or run it from a distance. How did you kind of work through all that problem in your mind? Yeah, so it, it's interesting because there's some, you know, some pro, pros and cons to it, but we most of the properties I purchased during that time were kind of in, in Missouri many of them in rural Missouri, kind of near my hometown and stuff. And so, you know, I've always done long distance investing. And that was kind of the thought process at that point in time of investing there is because, you know, I knew the bankers and the insurance people and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I didn't have to like learn a new market and things of that nature. So that, that had a lot to do with buying there instead of in other markets at the time, you know, just because I, I knew I had a good base of people there. Now, whether or not that was a a great idea, a great plan could be, could be debated. <laughs> so what was the specific strategy? Were you buying and adding value and raising rents, that kind of a thing, or were you just buying with in-place cash flows? How did you finance it for them and, and all of that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit of a, a mix. I will say, you know, then we bought some that were kind of, you know, maybe we put a few thousand dollars in just to upgrade just a little bit and mostly in-place cash flow and stuff. It wasn't necessarily well, the intent wasn't necessarily to 
do a lot of heavy lifting. That's kind of where it went wrong a little bit. You know, we weren't, I was kind of working with some, my brothers and some other partners and stuff. And, you know, maybe we didn't necessarily have a good strategy and systems in place to kind of be effective, you know? And so we bought some that had in place cash flows. Others we purchased and required a little bit of a heavier lift than, you know, we were prepared to do. And we, we all live geographically in different areas. So we weren't necessarily local there. And that's where some of the challenges came in, you know, is because of there's small area, there's not a lot of like professional property management, you know, we were doing a lot of the work ourselves. And so we accumulated a number of properties and, you know, some of them cash flow decently nice, others, nah, not so much. And others just took a lot of headspace, you know, as, as I mentioned, they're a little bit heavier lifts and they weren't necessarily complete failures, but it took a lot of time of our own time, you know, since they're not professional property management, like you know, working with contractors and things like that. And that experience is probably what kind of helped shift to know like, okay, there's a reason people, you know, invest in certain markets or, or different strategy and things like that based on the people and the resources that you have around you. Okay. So what did you end up doing with those properties? Did you sell them and roll them into multifamily? Are you still holding them today? It sounds like maybe you're still holding them today, but I'm, I don't want to read between the lines. Yeah, it's, it's a mix. So there are, there's a handful of my head. Like I still, like I said, I still have that like first three bedroom, two bath condo, you know, mm -hmm. it was well, not like a, you know, a cash cow. It had cash flows decently and I've used the equity in it, you know, to acquire some of the properties or lines of credit and things of that nature. Some of these ones that we bought more in like the you know, 2015, 18 timeframe, we are kind of in the process. We've started to, to sell some of those and are continuing to sell more to roll the equity that we do have into multifamily properties. So we do still have some, but we're kind of like slowly offloading those. Okay, great. So as you were thinking about rewinding the clock, as you were thinking about your upcoming now today, and it's in the past, but your upcoming retirement at the time, you mentioned before that you didn't want to go sit in a sit in a cubicle if you didn't really necessarily have to. You wanted to be a bit more entrepreneurial with your time and you know continue to grow and build your legacy and things along those lines. But let's you know get into that mindset. When did you really start thinking about okay, what am I going to do and how am I going to lay the groundwork for you know the basically the rest of my life? When did you start thinking about that? Yeah, so I, th I think like during those you know, that, that time frame, like 2015 ish, when I, we started accumulating some of those single family houses, I'd been in the military for about 15 years, you know? And so the, I hadn't really made a decision if I would retire at 2021 or stay in, but that's when I kind of started thinking about like, you know, acquiring more properties and kind of at that point in time, I probably thought more about like building up the equity over time. And that's another reason that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily analyze as much for cash on those properties either. And after we acquired some and I got, you know, snuck a little bit closer to the 20 year mark and I kind of started making a decision. There were some, you know, key moments, I think where, you know, I've talked about this in the, in the past where I came home from work one day and my daughter who was three at the time, you know, she asked me, she's like, daddy, what are you doing home? And I was like, oh, I came to, you know, spend some time with you and, and stuff. She's like, but it's still light outside. And, you know, it was kind of a, a gut punch for me and kind of, oh, eye-opening about how much time I was spending at work and she didn't expect to see me until it was dark. And that's kind of when I, I decided like, okay, I am going to, you know, retire when I'm eligible or shortly thereafter, you know, I'm not trying to stay and get promoted for long-term. And that's when it really got serious for me and probably, you know, maybe a little bit later than I should have, but that's why, you know, I really started getting serious about, okay, I've accumulated a certain amount of real estate. There's some equity in some, some cash flows a little bit, but it, is, it isn't enough to, you know, sustain wanting to 
build the life that I want to have the flexibility to be present with the kids and, you know, not clocking in at a nine to five. And so that's when I really started taking a, a deep look at like, you know, which path I was going to go with real estate and how I was going to do that. Okay. So one of the things I've noticed about friends, and this is not just in these areas, but but friends who are service members, military service members, or like firefighters, or you know, folks that are kind of in that in that vein, if you will, police that I know, this applies to everybody really, but tend to have a lot of limiting beliefs around, you know, what they're gonna do when they hit that retirement and get a pension that's, you know, is earlier than kind of the rest of us out there. And they, they have this limiting belief around whether they can really make real estate work. Now, it sounds like you had a really, you know, burning desire to be home, you know, before the sun went down, which is spend more time with your kids, which is great. But did you have those limiting beliefs or had you kind of inadvertently, you know, worked against them through owning the condo and doing all your single family deals? Where did you land there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, we're probably all, you know, we're relying to ourselves if we don't say we have some limiting beliefs, right? Because I think that all of us probably, regardless of what stage we are at, where we are on our journey, probably have some there. I think that, you know, in, in the occupation that I was in, in the military, the role, it's like pretty common for people to, you know, leave the military and get a job in, in that field. I sometimes leave on a Friday and come back, you know, Monday in civilian clothes doing basically the same thing. And some people really enjoy that work and it's, you know, that might be the easy thing to do. And that's fine if that's what the path that people want to take. And for me, I enjoyed the work for, for two decades, but it was contradictory to the reasons that I was ready to leave the military, right? You know, you talked, talked about my daughter and things like that. And so if I, I left on Friday and came back in on Monday, kind of doing the same thing, I, you know, would I, would I as a person really change or would I just kind of continue to, to, you know, have the same habits and stuff that I had before. And so I think that the reason behind why I didn't want a W-2 and I wanted to do something entrepreneurial was, you know, a burning enough reason for me to, to drive me. And I, did I have some limiting beliefs? Absolutely. Right. Like I had been doing long distance investing for a number of years. It was mostly around a place that I was comfortable with at the time, you know, I hadn't like kind of expanded out. So I was kind of working through the ability to do long distance investing. I knew that I, I could. Something sometimes more successfully than other times, right? But and that's what kind of drove me. It's like, okay, I can do this. I have some work, some education. I have to do some networking and you know get some partners and build up people around me to do it more successfully. Okay, so as you were overseas and and working on doing these deals from a distance, I mean, how do you get those pieces together? You're not around these folks that you know you're trying to do business with. You're not around the properties. So you have to get people to do the physical due diligence for you. There's all kinds of problems that come up. So yeah. how did you work through that? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because, you know, prior to going to England, you know, I hadn't really, you know, I was doing some like self-education, if you will, but I hadn't done like a lot of meetups and networking and masterminds or anything like that. And so the stuff, you know, that I did back in Missouri, back home, the single family stuff was mostly based on relationships from, you know, that I had previously people that I knew. And right around the time that I was getting ready to move to England is when I really kind of started going to some, some meetups and really kind of talking to other people about it. Right. And then I go over to England and I'm kind of like, man, you know, I just missed my opportunity. I really just started getting into networking, connecting with others. And now here I am, you know, 4,000, 5,000 miles away. And so right shortly after I joined a, a mastermind for, for active duty and veterans, and that was kind of my way of, you know, networking. 
because I was forced to, right? There weren't a lot of like in-person meetups in England that were going to be effective for that. And so I kind of you know, had to do something that was a virtual mastermind there. And that's really where I started building some relationships. And as I kind of moved into doing some multifamily things, many of my original partners, in fact, people I invested with, I met through there. And as I started to being a GP on some syndications myself, some of my original partners were met through those networks. Okay. So, you know, being in England and sounds like this, this mastermind that you're referencing was online. So probably everybody's in different time zones and you're far apart. You have a common thread that you're, you know, military service members, but beyond that, you're probably kind of scattered around the world. How did that kind of play into your ability to effectively, you know, participate in the group? Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, some of the local people are spread all, all throughout the world because it is military. So it's designed for, you know, if you're stationed overseas, it doesn't matter where you are. So we have like, you know, larger group things We have smaller group accountability on online. And we just, you know, spent quite a bit of time together. And over time, people that were in a, you know, a certain geographic area would meet up in person and stuff. But you just, you know, we spent quite a bit of time on, you know, small accountability groups, getting to know each other. You know, we would, you know, take time to call each other one-on-one, just have conversations. And, you know, that kind of expanding, you know, that, that was not that long before lockdowns and everything like that, where everyone was willing to, and that's kind of another piece of it, right? Like we were kind of forced into this virtual world over from being overseas. And shortly thereafter, much of the rest of the world was kind of forced into that as well. And so there was probably, you know, some silver lining there for, for us to help build some of those relationships. They probably would have been a little bit more challenging to get as many people to spend as much time on a zoom call or a phone call and kind of build those deeper relationships that we did during that time frame. Okay. Okay. So it was pretty well set up for the knowledge that people were kind of all over, all over the world. And so when you're in this rewinding, you know, you were, let's go back to when you had, you know, a year left until your retirement, you're in that final home stretch. How did you look at setting things up, getting yourself really prepared to really, you know, hit the ground running, have all your pieces in place, whether it's, you know, being at home or, you know, having your home office set up or having, you know, partners, having deal flow, all these things, you know, in place. So you were really ready to go to, to start, you know, continue doing deals and bringing in income and all that. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I kind of, even before I really decided to transition to multifamily, I had kind of started up investing some passively and, you know, just being around some of these other other people, you know, kind of got this understanding that regardless of what I did, you know, if I was going to be entrepreneur or whatever, I kind of had to build my own brand. Right. And so I just started, you know, spending some time thinking about that, building that out. Like, what do I want to achieve from this for, for business wise, for my family? What do I want to see my kids, you know, pass on to them or for them to see me doing on a day-to-day basis? And so it, it also helped, you know, that, well, with the lockdowns and things and everyone kind of spend that time together, it gave me a lot of time where I was working from home, right? You know, so less days in the office, I was able to spend some more time building that up for me, I guess, conveniently a couple of years prior to, you know, my scheduled retirement. And also, I mean, like being in England, like the time difference, you know, you could, you could use that as a, a challenge, but in some ways it could be beneficial because even when we were going into work, you know, I could have time to do my W2 during the day. And when I came home, you know, people in the U.S. were still kind of in their work day. So did I have to work some evenings and you know, a little bit harder or longer hours to, to do that? Yes. But by doing so, you know, it helped me kind of prepare and have, you know, kind of this rolling as I, as I retired. And so that's kind of, you know, I spent more time at home, like I said, and so it kind of 
helped you get into, not that there aren't still some challenges, but it kind of helps you learn like to work from home, you know, the discipline, you know, we're used to kind of going in and having a plan of the day in the military and stuff. And so when you're kind of working from home, you kind of have to, you know, figure that out and the discipline of when you're doing certain things, when you're spending time with family, when you're exercising, when you're doing the work. Okay. So you talk quite a bit about how your kids have influenced your goals and decision-making. You also talk about, you know, legacy planning. Heck, it's in the, you know, name, smacking my mic here. It's in the name of your company. So, you know, that's clearly key to your your strategy, the way you think about things, you know, your priorities, all, all of that. So how do you think about passing these lessons that you've learned about money, about investing, about planning, you know, what have you, how do you think about passing that on to your own kids and then helping other people think about passing their own lessons on to their kids? Yeah, I really appreciate that because, you know, I think that, you know, when we think we talk about in multifamily and stuff, a lot of times, we, you know, we talk about like generational and sometimes when we talk about legacy and stuff, we, we think about like a number that we pass down, you know, that's going to be in the bank account to our kids or our family or whatever. And while that's certainly a component of it, you know, I think there's a lot more to generational wealth and to our legacy. You know, I mean, there's some unfortunate statistics about, you know, how, how many generations it takes to kind of throw that away, you know? And I think part of that is because they're, they're not tall. Like you can't just hand a, a dollar amount down and expect it to be used appropriately, right? If they're, if they're not educated. And so I think that's part of our responsibility. You know, if we're going to build, you know, something where there is some generational wealth to pass down, I think it's our responsibility to kind of educate and and show our kids or whoever it is that you are passing that money onto, you know, the responsible use of it and, you know, what your desires are for how, uh, how to impact their or other people's lives. And so, I mean, my kids are only five and eight, fairly young, but we try to incorporate things here at home that are kind of age appropriate, you know, a handful of like different, you know, books that we kind of look at and, you know, some, some of them might not be the most exciting to kind of read from front cover to back cover, but just kind of picking some of the terms and then kind of telling a story or talking about what that means from a financial or real estate perspective. You know, we play, we play the, the rich dad, poor dad, cash flow for kids and, you know, kind of, uh, they, you know, they, they really enjoy it. It's early on teaching them kind of the assets and liabilities. And we've even done things where we kind of sold them our microwave and toaster and turned those into assets. And we have like kind of a rent <laughs> schedule, right? So when we use it, we have to kind of pay them rent. And, and <laughs> you know, I charge them like taxes and insurance and stuff. So we can start to have these little like conversations that will be applicable later on. And one thing I'm really hoping to do, we've only been back here in the States four or five months, but you know, what I want to incorporate is they saw me spend a lot of time behind a computer, you know, over the past few years in England, trying to, to do business virtually. And that doesn't mean anything to them, right? Like I can tell them, Hey, I'm working with my business partners, kind of try to explain it, but it, it's just daddy sitting behind a computer. Right. And so We've, you know, we acquired just under 500 units in the past couple of years between like Tulsa, Texas, Nashville. And so, you know, I want to take them down to Tulsa soon and to take them to those apartment complexes, right. And to, to introduce them to the on-site leasing person or the maintenance guy and to, to show them the impact that we're having by giving these people jobs to, to show them the people, the residents that live in our communities and kind of talk to them about like how we're trying to make it a better home or a better place for them to live. You know, maybe take them down there one time when we're doing a, a resident event, you know, we do a lot of resident events at the complexes and stuff. And so I want to take them in person and talk to them and show them so they, they have a better understanding of what's happening and not just daddy sitting behind a computer. <laughs> 
So, okay. I love that. A lot of great examples. I love selling them the, the microwave too. That's, that's a brilliant idea. As they, you know, get older, they're, you know, going to learn, they're going to have more of their own thoughts about this. You're going to take them to the properties, introduce them to people. What are your thoughts about, you know, and this is a ways down the road, so I don't know how much you've, you know, gotten through it yet, but as they get to, you know, 16, 17, 18, they're really starting to think about what they want to go out and do in the world. How, how are you kind of planning on steering them in one way or another? I mean, I imagine you're already doing that steering now, but as they get, you know, older, how do you see that kind of plan and the strategy evolving? Yeah. So, I mean, as a parent, me personally, like I, I always want my children to, to make the decision, right. That, you know, I don't want to force them in the military because I was in the military. I don't want to force them to go to college because everyone says to go to college. Right. I think that there are a lot of good paths to, to go and they're not all right for, for everyone. And I want them to make informed decisions. And, you know, so I want to kind of show them you know, what the options are, what the strengths and weaknesses of certain options or decisions could be. And ultimately, I mean, the choice will, will be theirs to, to do that. But from like, you know, real estate and, you know, entrepreneur perspective, you know, I want to kind of show them that so they know like, Hey, there is a successful way to, to do this or to go make an impact or to do other things. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to have a nine to five. If they choose to do that, that's fine. I just want to show them that there are other ways and and you know, allow them to be informed. Cool. Great. Well, I love that you're thinking about it. And I love that you gave us a few specific strategies that you're using as well. I was going to ask you for examples, but you gave us some awesome ones. There you go. So, excellent. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Marcus, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? Let's go. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, so I think, you know, we kind of talked about early on, I think I'd have to probably go with that first condo, you know, that I bought when I was 22 years old. You know, maybe I didn't do all the awesome analysis on it to make sure it was going to cash flow perfectly or what I wanted or, you know, what the return on investment was. But I think just it is what really opened my eyes unintentionally as I house hacked and later on turned it into a rental, you know, to dig a little bit deeper into, into real estate and the benefits. And so it's kind of what's launched this journey. Okay. So in that vein, you know, they, they say I've owned a condo in the past. Fortunately, I no longer own it, but uh, we made money on it. But they say that condos are kind of the slowest thing to appreciate and they're the fastest to crash in a down market. And you bought that right before the great recession. What was your experience like going through the great recession, holding that condo? Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, it, it's been good, you know, as far as like, there hasn't been a lot of appreciation. Part of that is because it's in, you know, it's in a college town in Missouri. Um, so it stuff doesn't necessarily appreciate significantly there anyway. It's slow. It has appreciated certainly, uh, not as much as some like metro areas. 
And the, you know, like there are other things with condos, you know, the HOA fees and things like that, you know, take a big chunk uh, of your cash flow and things, things that I didn't really consider or know to consider at the time that I bought it. And ultimately it's been good. It's been vacant for very, very minimal amount of time in, you know, the 18 years I've only had a handful of residents been very low and stuff there. So it's been, it's been good. It just doesn't, you know, cash flow as much as something I would invest in if I were investing for cash flow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, it might not be one individually, but a series. And I'll say, you know, we kind of talked about this as well, the kind of some of those single family multi-use properties that were purchased probably in the 2015 to 18 timeframe. And, you know, not necessarily there's, there were a lot of values or, you know, lessons learned. And so there's some goodness that came from them as well, I would say, but not necessarily bad or worse from a financial perspective that we didn't, you know, majorly lose out or, you know, super negative cash flow necessarily. But I think just from kind of how much, you know, I mentioned like we were doing a lot of property management, a lot of the work with contractors, they were kind of heavy lift mentally and mind space wise. And so I think that there's, there was probably kind of a drag that that created that I could have been placing that energy in, in other places. I hear you. I was just discussing that same thing last night at a networking event with somebody that, that one of the biggest things I love about our deals is that I don't have to, I don't have to interact with the contractors. Somebody else handles that, you know? And, and so that's one of my favorite things about the way we do it. So I can imagine the, the, the mental drag that you experienced from those deals was pretty severe. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've, you've ever read the book, uh, The Giver, but if not, I recommend it, but you know, just talks about, you know, providing value and, you know, being, being a go-giver. Right. And so I think that in business, you know, it's a lot about people, whether it's the, the residents that live there about our, you know, the property management people that we work with about, you know, the contractors that are helping us about the investors our passive investors that are trusting us with their hard-earned money. It's all about people. Right. And so I think regardless of which, you know, vector we look at there, when we just kind of like lead with providing value to others, you know, things generally work out. Like maybe, maybe like you and I don't have a, a, an opportunity to do business together, but I can connect you or introduce you to someone else. And so I, I think just like, you know, looking at opportunities to, to give to others and help other people out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think real estate investors tend to understand that a bit more than folks in other industries. I don't know why, but that does seem to be the case. I'm not sure exactly why, but I appreciate that lesson. Marcus, I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing all of these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, that's great. You know, they can go to alonglegacy.com and, you know, I have all my contact info is on there. If you want to shoot me an email or set up a, a call, I even have a, you know, I have a little PDF on there that's 30 actions to launch your legacy. So it has different, you know, some daily actions or some, you know, things that you can learn about with it, whether in real estate or something else that might kind of, you know, be a, be a turning point for you to start kind of thinking about how you want to pass things down or things you want to teach your kids. Nice. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling 
because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.